So we said ours is 68. But Cheryl burns a fire with these blowers that go around our fireplace. It gets up to 80 in the living room. I ain't going to lie to you. She, and she's like, I'm like, it's a little hot in here. She's like, oh, no, it feels wonderful. Hey, uh, got a headache. Hey, uh, Radius Lexington, just want to say how proud I have, am of how you guys have handled this process of Give Hope. If you're, if you're new here, we pool our money at the end of the year so that we can care for folks in need in our community. We do it through partners, a variety of partners. And you guys really have led the way for all the Radius churches. So, like, at this point, shockingly, if you grew up here at Radius Lexington, you remember we were really small, and then this room kind of got filled. Well, now we're less than a third of the total attendance of all the Radius because of the multiple campuses and other places, which is really, really cool. But you guys still made up half of the cash in the Give Hope Fund. So, yeah, <laughs> proud of you. So that was 185,989. And I like counting every dollar. Isn't that great? Pulled it all together. 185,989. You're like, I missed it. What is this? Give hope. You got a couple days you can get in. We're closing it. That's kind of how we do it. And we pool that money. We're already starting to distribute it. We, needs come up in the community on a regular basis. It is actually great fun for us uh, at Radius to care for physical needs in our community. Um, if you're a Lexington partner, in two weeks, two weeks from today, we're going to do the Radius Partner Dinner for Lexington. We got some fun stuff. We're going to review a bunch of good things that happened in 2023. We're going to talk about some cool things that are happening in 2024. Sheely's will be here, so that's a good thing. You got, like, your diet will just be ending about the time that starts, so, like, you'll be good. Eat a little, eat a little extra uh, corned beef, whatever, whatever you like, hash, whatever you like. Corned beef. They don't make corned beef. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so plan on that. 28th, you got to register. We'd love to have you here. We got a pretty fun announcement about a, a staff ad, so that'll all come out that night. So come on. Let me pray, and we're going to jump into this uh, little series we're doing that uh, has some teeth to it. Today will be really practical about pausing. Jesus, you've been working on me on this, and it has uh, been good. Thankful for how you chase after me and teach me even these many years after I first met you. I want that for this room. I pray for the folks that have just met you that something from your word would land and they would take it and meditate on it and that it would change them. Some that have been most Sundays in our 20-year history. I pray again, this, this new Sunday, this this particular Sunday that there would be something that would grab them, that you would work on them as you've been working on me with this, with this topic. So I trust you with it. And we pray even now, Lord, that as we sit together, that you would provide rest for us in this room, that this hour together would be restful to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've called this series Pause. And we've been trying to get ourselves to move toward rest. Next week, we start a series called Let's Go. So you kind of like it sets you up. Yeah, you pause, you get a little rest, so you can go. And those things really seem to go together biblically. So last week, we, we went through a biblical history of rest. Anybody remember the Ten Commandments from last week? If, if you can't remember them, it's super easy. This was amazing. I learned this from a kid who taught a pastor that I listened to online. I'm going to go through the Ten Commandments with you real quick one more time. Hold up your finger. One, for those of y'all that want to do a demonstration, you can. For those of y'all that don't, I forgive you. But one, there's one God. There's only one God. Two, you make some scissors. 
We cut out all the idols. This was great, right? You cut out all. I can never remember. Number two, three is for word. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. So it's the words that you use. Four, there's four Sundays in a month or Saturdays. If you actually know what Sabbath is, there's four Saturdays in a month, generally, eight out of 12. But anyway, there's four Sundays in a month, so that's four, keeping the Sabbath. Number five, anybody remember this? Students, you remember this one? Honor your father and mother. Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. That's my favorite one, students. Yes, sir. Anyway, number six. I said not murder. Like, remember, bang, fall over, like, bang. Two, adultery. Kind of goes into hiding. We'll leave it at that. Number three, in a lot of countries, like, you get your finger cut off if you steal. So I'm missing my finger. No, I'm not. I'm lying. Number four, thou shalt not lie. Right, right, right. And number five. I said, not covet. I want all of it, right? Like, that's kind of how it goes. But the thing that shocked me when I went through them, I saw this guy demonstrate. I just, just had not considered. I've always thought about the first four being love God and the last six being about loving your neighbor. But he talked about the fourth one being a hinge commandment. And he, he says you hinge loving God to loving your neighbor by rest. It's what Sabbath, the word Sabbath actually means. Rest. And as this guy is unpacking this, and I'm thinking about my own heart and my ability to love the people I, I know the most, and why at times do I feel like I don't have enough juice to love the people that are closest to me? Perhaps it's connected to this rest. Last week, if, if you were with us at by the end, we're connecting the rest directly to Jesus. He does it himself. He actually says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He says he's the ultimate rest, that ultimate rest comes from Jesus. We did a little study, if, if you were here last week, we, we, of you being a tank and some things that fill you and some things that drain you. Everybody's got these, right? Some things that fill you. For me, one of the things that fills me is driving. I don't know why it just does. Maybe you play golf. Maybe you, I, I don't know, but when I drive, I get filled. Like going to Jacksonville, people are like, you want to spend a night? Why would I spend a night? I'm, I'm full when I get there. I'm full when I get home. I drive there and back. It's no problem. I like driving. It's fun. I like, I'm, it fills me. Happy Cheryl fills me. Like, like, man, Cheryl's happy. Life's good, boy. I'm like, let's go, right? Like, and then some other stuff drains you on the other side. So, like this, for example, something that I love actually drains me. I love preaching. I love preaching. I've been doing it for a long time, but I'm tired afterwards. I go home and crash, and it's just kind of the way it is. And there's some stuff that I'm not good that drains us. Like organizing anything drains me. Radius wouldn't exist this last year if Kim and Matt weren't here because like, like that drains me and I'm terrible at it. Sad Cheryl really drains me. Anybody else that's happened to your spouse like when they're down or mad, mad Cheryl scares me. Sad Cheryl drains me, right? <laughs> so you kind of got this stuff coming in and this stuff going out. And for those of us that know Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate rest. We'd all agree. But what's interesting in our society right now, there's just this continual not so dramatic as those things drain on us. It just seems like it's never going to end. Like this drain on me. Feeling this? Grown people feeling this? Students, you feeling this? Like there's this never ending, like maybe even this low-level depression that I'm dealing with. And why is that? Well, I thought for just a minute, last week we did a biblical history of rest. This week, let's do the world history of speed. So relationships, let's just go back to Jesus' times. You know how many people were on the planet in Jesus' days? 170 million in the world. 
You know how many people lived in Bethlehem where Jesus was born? A thousand. River Bluff students. That's like your ninth grade, right? Like that's, that's just a thousand people in Bethlehem. In Jerusalem, one of the largest cities in the region, you know how big that was? 80,000 people. Not that many. <laughs> These days, you and I live in a world of 8 billion people. We live in a medium-sized suburb where there's 350,000 people in Lexington, right? So we're used to dealing with people on top of people, and Lord, help us with social media, all the relationships that we don't have, <laughs> right? Like, like all these faux relationships that only see us when we're smiling. Like, like that, that's what we got. Used to live in Bethlehem. If you were a student and you were in the 10th grade, there's like three of you in town, <laughs> right? That's, that's just how it was. That's how the villages of the world were, and now we've got... The speed and the number of relationships are out of control. Work. Even 100 years ago, 120 maybe to be more exact, when urbanization really started to happen, man, in the United States, 90% of Americans were farmers. So, yeah, they worked six and seven days a week, but a lot of it was alone or just with the family. And so there was this, there was this pace, even though the work was hard, Pace as far as relationship and dealing with chaos outside of whether it's going to rain or not was slow. Now only 2% of Americans are farmers. Matter of fact, you probably don't know a farmer, not a, a real farmer who pays the bills by farming. It's crazy how much change has happened in just 100 years. Edison created a light bulb in 1879. All of a sudden, we work swing three shifts, we can work through the night, we can work all day and into the night, and it, and it really just has sped up since, has it not? What about information? 1436, the printing press was created. Until that point, the whole world couldn't read outside of the very, very elite top one percenters, right? The whole world couldn't read. 1436 changed everything, and then then literacy began to come, and it changed where people could process information. And, and then 2007 came. What happened in 2007? A lot of people think it's going to be as significant as the printing press, right? The iPhone, Facebook, Twitter, the iCloud came into being in, in 2007, and the list goes on. 2007 was this pivotal year. There's a lot of stuff changing through there, right? Some of y'all my age, like, we didn't even have a phone with us. I'm not shocking to some of y'all. Like, we didn't have a phone. They never traveled with us. But the whole world has changed. And all of a sudden, this thing in my pocket has increased the speed of my life in ways that are really kind of exponential. Here's the question. Are we healthier? Like, for real. Just honest. Are we healthier? What's all this speed doing to our soul? So we decided to do the series. We called it Pause. We thought it would be really good for one just to try to just slow down while we're here. I, it, I was really impressed. Maloney over at uh, Radius Centerville told me to read a book. Turned out after I read it, he hadn't read it. So he thought it was a good idea for me to read it. I guess he wanted me to tell him what it was. Uh, so I, I went on a trip, which was filling, right? But what was funny is I'm reading this book. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by a guy named John Mark Comer. He is super artistic in the way he writes. You may hate it, so I'm not, like, encouraging you to buy it. And by the way, we're not signing off on him like he's Jesus or one of the writers of the Scriptures, right? Like, I just read the book, and here's what happened as I read the book. It washed over me, and the Holy Spirit started to work on me. So I'm going to share a little bit from the book. 
But what we're looking for is what the Scripture's going to wash over you and the Holy Spirit's going to wash over you, not John Mark. He did a great job of the book. He's real artistic. And as I'm reading it, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I am driving down the highway at 79, right? Like, <laughs> probably 79, right? Like, baby, I was, it was 79. I'm 79. And, and, and I'm listening to the book through my phone while I'm driving at 79 miles an hour, and I'm scheduling an appointment. I'm going to a funeral of all things, a time where you ought to slow down. I'm scheduling an appointment in the area of where the funeral is, and I'm listening to this book. He's going through the stuff. I'm like, woof. Oh, I might, I might be the problem while I'm going through Chick-fil-A as fast as I can, trying to figure out which one of those two lines is going to be the quickest to get my 12 nuggets and some fries, right? Like, like it, it's crazy how locked in we are on going fast, and the question is really the truth. Like, is it, is it destroying us? And then the question for me and you, should we revolt? Should we rebel and say, I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore? Or at least in some ways not do it anymore. So at the beginning of his book, he, uh, he, he does this. He doesn't do it like I'm going to do it, but he, he's got this list, and I'm going to go through it. It'll hurt. Uh, but it's, that's what church is for, right? Come in, get punched in the mouth. Anyway, like he just goes through this list. It hurt me. This is like an ev- honest evaluation if you are, have hurry sickness, right? Like, So if you were going to the doctor and he was going to uh, assess you and go, do you have hurry sickness? I'm going to go through 10 things. And you rate them from zero to 10, okay? Zero is, I wrote it down, zero is like never. Like, I, I never feel that way. And 10 is, I always feel that way, okay? So number one, irritability. If your spouse is sitting by you, don't lie. You can write on your card if you want. But if you write a seven, they'll be like, bro, that ain't a seven. You a nine and a half, and I'm giving you half, right? Like, like irritability, like you need a Snickers every day, right? Like, it's, a, it's this thing where... You kind of got this mad and frustrated thing that's just underlying inside of you. So rate yourself, zero to ten. Zero to ten. Ten is always hypersensitivity. Like the minor things that somebody says hurt your feelings. Sometimes your feelings get hurt by what you think somebody might have said. You know what I'm saying? That's hypersensitivity. I wonder, I think they might have said, I think they were thinking when they were saying, like, how did you figure that out? I read the text, and like, like they didn't say it, but uh, that, yeah, you a 10, baby. That's a 10, right? Zero, like, it doesn't phase you. Restlessness. All right, baby, don't be scoring me on this. Uh, you can't lay down in the bed without your feet moving all over the place. I don't know why. That's why I stay thin. My legs move so much at night. Like I run a couple miles every night. You get a little older, you find out. You wake up with a sprained ankle. That's exactly what happened. Restlessness. I, mean, I knew Cheryl would be on me, so I'm going to get back. I can't watch TV without doing laundry and looking at your phone at the same time. You think that's restlessness? Okay, we can't, like, do one thing at a time. See, baby? Be careful. Number four. Workaholism, which is interesting because some of y'all really deal with this in this room. Like, you just work and work and work and work. I get that a little bit, but in our culture, that's becoming less of a deal, and it's actually like distractionism. Like, I'm always distracted. I'm always doing something, but I'm not making money for doing it, right? Bosses are struggling with this because their employees are so distracted. They're not actually working. So you got some in the room, like, when you think about working too much, 
that's, that's on your mind. For others, it's, it's all the other stuff around work that just fills your calendar. They call it uh, this thing sunset fatigue, that you work so much that when you get home, you don't have any more juice for anybody else that you really love. You say you're providing, but you're not, right? Great way to test this, and we could do this. I won't do it, but you could pull that thing out of your pocket and just look how many hours did you have on it yesterday. On the distractions. Emotional numbness. You ever been here? You just don't have any more empathy. I was driving to a funeral of actually a really good friend, and I felt nothing. You ever been there? That's a problem. If you're there right now, then rate yourself a 10. Out of order priorities. I'll never forget. It struck me so clearly. My oldest son was on this travel baseball team. He played right field. He was decent. And this dad sat beside me in the stands, and he looked at me and had this massive grin on his face, and he goes, you realize this is going to be the high school baseball team. I'm like, my kid's in right field, and he's 10. <laughs> it's just, it was like this moment where I'm like, like I'm, I'm, I'm a youth sports guy. I love sports. I love my kids in sports. I'm like, that's a cool thing to say, but that's not actually what I'm raising my kids to be. A high school baseball player? Right? That's, that's not what I'm raising them to be. It was like the, the priorities for this dude, and this dude actually knew Jesus, kind of had just slid out of the way, and that was the priority in life, this thing. And I could tell you his life story. It, it went in the ditch because the priorities out of whack. Where are yours? And it could be on any subject. That was, that's the subject that's near and dear to my heart. Lack of care for your body, zero to ten. You don't sleep enough. You sleep too much. You don't exercise. Some of you exercise too much. Not many of you. <laughs> Some of y'all exercise too much. You gain weight. You can actually lose weight because you're so focused on your body. And it can be detrimental to your health. You can't function tomorrow without an energy drink. Crazy how many 22-year-olds need an energy drink to get it on today, like to actually be able to move. If you need one every day, you attend. Put it down. Like, just be honest. Ain't nobody looking. I'm not going to grade it later. We're, we're good. I won't even see it. Escapist behaviors. Oh, man, life gets hard, and you go to your distraction of choice. You eat too much. You drink too much. You binge watch Netflix. You can't take your thumb off your phone when you're scrolling through social media or porn owns you. Right? All that's happening in this room, by the way. That's our world. Right? Literally 20 years ago, most of that couldn't even happen, and we're in it. So let's just talk about it. Let's be straight. Escapist behaviors. Number nine, almost done. For those of y'all that know Jesus and been walking with him for a while, the slippage in spiritual disciplines, like something you used to do but you don't do anymore. Now, for some of you, like quiet time was a thing we talked a ton about. I'll talk about it more in a little bit. And maybe that used to be you, but it's not you anymore. As a matter of fact, you kind of got to multitask to do it. You're going to church. Just, you're here today. It's, we're, we're, we're packed. It's, it's great. We can add chairs. Like, but like uh, going to church, just these rhythms, have they slipped? Have you, are you less healthy? Do you have meals with friends that know Jesus and talk about Jesus on a regular clip like you used to? Is there slippage? Then finally, number 10, which I thought was interesting because we do this differently, was isolation. Zero to 10. Are you isolating? If you're an introvert, you probably isolate by going to your room and shutting the door, 
okay? That would be how I'd do it. If you're extrovert, you actually can isolate with people but have no juice for the people anymore. Like you're just there, but you're numb and you can't, you can barely take in what's going on. Your body's there kind of, but your soul is not. I can do that in my room alone. You may be able to do that with a group of people. How'd you score? Zero to 10. Like if you're 100, <laughs> let's talk. You're in trouble. Like seriously, like you're in trouble. If you're zero, I'm glad Jesus is here today, right? Like these are, these are hard times. But somewhere in between is probably where we're all. We're all dealing with this pace that the world has put in front of us, and we've got to respond. You can keep telling yourself, I'm going to respond tomorrow, but we've got to respond. Like the, the sprint is on, it's washing over us, and it's pressuring us, and we're losing our souls. Ephesians 5 says this, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. That last line is particularly interesting. Way back then when it really wasn't nothing like today as far as speed, the writer Paul is calling them even evil days. So be careful how you live. Make the most of every opportunity. How are you going to make these hours that you have count? Um. I don't know what you were hoping your life would be. There's, there's a book called The Life You Always Wanted, and it's about spiritual disciplines. It's, it's a terrific book by John Ortberg. But whatever your life is, that score you just got, if you're honest, is produced by your lifestyle. We can say, I mean, we always, I mean, there's always some stuff that are brought on us that we have to deal with, and there's seasons where we just got to hustle because that's what's on. But generally, Whatever your score is on life, that survey we just did is equated to your lifestyle. So quite honestly, like just if, if your life is pretty lousy right now, outside of some pretty extra circumstances that we could talk about offline, like then you're going to have to change your lifestyle in order for it to be less lousy. Like that underlying depression that just nags at some of us all the time. The only way to deal with that is to change something we're doing. And I would argue that has a lot to do with our pace. And again, for 90% of the room, it's not working too much. It's being distracted all the time. So something in our routine's got to change. Our schedule, our budget, our phone. It's got to change if I'm going to get out of this trap. And the way I like to think about it, because this is the way I think, is I got a revolt. I don't know why that just connects with me. And if you're at Radius, you probably connect with it a little bit, because that's kind of how we roll around here. Like, like I got to rebel against the system. I'm going to go the other way. And how, how do I? Jesus says this in Matthew. It's beautiful. I know it in the King James. I read it to you out of NLT. But I, even, even as a kid, when I read it, it, it just... It, uh, it felt good to my soul, and I'm going to read it to you and let, let it wash over you. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Everybody hear that? Jesus speaking to you. You're tired. You're exhausted. You have some low level of depression. What's Jesus say? He says he's willing to come to you. And then what? And give you rest. Some of you in the room are tired to the bone. You barely functioning, you're so tired. What's Jesus saying? He says, I'll give you rest. And then he explains kind of how. He says, 
I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word yoke, I'm not thinking rest. That sounds like work. But what's yoke mean to you? Like, is that like part of an egg? Is that where you're going with the yoke? All right, that's what. I, like when I was young, I played ball in the hood a lot. When you dunk, when you power dunk, we called that a yoke. I never did it. I saw other people do it. When they, oh, he just, that was a yoke. And that's, that's what we said. In olden days, when Jesus is writing, what's a yoke? It's actually this piece of timber that connects two big oxen. Oxen, is that plural? I think that's plural of oxen. And, and they would do work. They would hook their power together. But maybe what you don't know, and sometimes we can't get this when we're reading the scriptures, is that yoke, as Jesus is presenting it, connects to that in some way, but they would actually connect. If you, if you follow the teacher of the day, they called them rabbis. In Hebrews, the, the rabbi would have a yoke. His teaching was his yoke. And so you would partner with him, in essence, in his yoke. I don't know if that makes sense. I'll read you the rest of the passage and try to make sense of it. Take my yoke upon you. Check it out. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. Think about that for just a minute. Like if the yoke is the teaching of the rabbi, which is what everybody thought Jesus was prior to his death. He's a rabbi. He wasn't the Messiah. He's a rabbi. He's one of the teachers, and he had followers. We called them disciples. He had these disciples, and Jesus is offering people to be his disciple, and he says, my yoke is light. What's he saying about all the other rabbis, all the other teachers? What's he saying about them? Their yoke is heavy. It's hard to carry. It's really good for me to kind of stew on that and think about what I wanted to offer you today. Why is Jesus' yoke light? Because the people that really follow Jesus closely, man, like they do stuff that nobody does. But why is it light? Because he starts with a heart. Man, if you come and tell a group of people not to sin, and some of you grew up like this. You grew up in a church that offered a yoke that was heavy, and I'm sorry. As a matter of fact, sometimes when I preach, you're translating what I say through that lens because you've heard it all your life. And you assume anytime something's said directly that the yoke is heavy, that, that he's bringing pressure, and I feel guilty. If you leave here feeling guilty today, you missed it. This is supposed to be a light yoke. It's supposed to start at the heart. And then if it starts at the heart, it's funny how when we align ourselves with Jesus and we more and more love him and we're with him, we just don't want to sin as much. It's easier not to sin. <laughs> Pastors like me, oftentimes about particular topic will be sweating and Today, you can sweat, and here's a little warm, like, like, and be going hard at it, and you, you feel guilty. But that's the opposite of what Jesus did. He, he, he didn't wield, like, this guilt feeling. He actually helped people change their hearts so they wanted not to sin. When it came to being generous, the church was so generous because they wanted to be generous. They weren't making them be generous. They have to measure it with a percentage. Like, they wanted to be generous. It's beautiful. So when I read that passage and I think about Radius Church, I pray that we will always offer this world in Lexington or wherever we are as a Radius Church a light yoke like Jesus did. Our teachings should help people shoulder life, which is really what I think that yoke is. Actually, when when the, the rabbi would teach, he, he would explain the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then he would have his independent teachings and the goal of the independent teachings were to teach you how to shoulder life. And Jesus was saying, 
I'm going to help you shoulder it lightly. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. And so today, I don't have a ton of time, but I want to give you four disciplines and I want you to hear them as disciplines that give you rest, like push-ups, sit-ups, squats, and something aerobic. That's, that's my little deal. That's, that's how I try to stay in shape. Those are my four disciplines. They're not like things that are curses to me or that make life hard. Sometimes I hate them, but they're actually things that actually help me stay healthy, right? So I do those four disciplines. I'm going to give you four disciplines. I got to fly through them. I got a bad accent, so talking fast is difficult. All right, so anyway, I'm going to go through them really quick. Here's four of them. Solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, and slowing. It's four disciplines. You can take one little thing out of any of these, and I'm going to have to cruise. Solitude. Solitude in Mark, we see Jesus... Do this. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. There's so much to do. Jesus took this minute, this hour, these two hours in the morning, and he went away and he found some solitude, and he met with his father in order to energize him for the work of the day. Let me just give you a couple flags. If you've been following Jesus a long time, are you to the point that the only way you can hang out with Jesus is through somebody else? Like, do you have to do it with a podcast? Is that the only way you can spend time with God anymore? Do you have to be talking to somebody about Jesus, or can you just be alone with him? You remember when you could used to be just alone with him? That's, that's the world's stealing that from you. I've had to evaluate that for myself. What if this, this next week you determine that your time with the Lord will not involve any multitasking? You turn your phone off, I don't, 15 minutes. Turn your phone off, turn everything off. You're like, you don't know my life. I might. I got six kids. I might know your life. And perhaps we could work our way out of living from the surface and back to living from the core. Some of y'all that have been following Jesus for a long time, you remember when you used to live from your core? The Holy Spirit will work through you, but the pace has stolen some of it. Quiet times kind of get the bad rap. That was kind of an 80s, 90s thing, and there were some folks that made you super proud of having your quiet time every day, and so there was competition because we can be legalist on everything. It's so crazy, right? But let me, let me just go. Quiet times are a little underrated. I don't know many people that have a daily time with the Lord that are really unhealthy, right? It can be done. Don't get me wrong. But I would just go, man, as you evaluate solitude, could you work that back in your life? Here's what I'm doing right now. I'm journaling. No, it's not a pink one with a flower on it. I, I, I ain't got no journal like that. But, like, I, I'm just going back because I've lo lost some discipline there to journaling daily. And, it, and it's, it's honestly, it's just really, really good. Every day's not awesome but it's really, really good. I would, I would just encourage you, men, women, whoever, like this journaling thing, if that's, if that's the ticket, get a daily rhythm going again of resting in Jesus if you've known him for a long time. Students, you guys know what I'll do at this time of year? You do 30 days in a row in a, in a journal. Like you, you read the Bible, write it in your own words, and write a prayer. I got $50 for you. I don't know $50 is what that's worth now. When we started about six years doing this, it was probably, it's probably worth about $30 now. I don't know. I guess appreciation. But anyway, I, all I got is 50 So you got it. You do it 30 days. It's just that big a deal. It'll change your life. So you kind of got two choices as I fly through solitude. You can either neglect it, and you're going to find your way into spiritual oblivion, says Ortberg. 
That's where, that's where it goes. At a minimum, you're going to be really unhealthy and know it. Most of us that have lived for a while and walked with Jesus for a while, you know it. Or you can choose B and start experiencing Jesus again. So I would just say, hey, let's revolt. Let's say that we do have time. Let's tell something else that we don't have time for. Do it how you need to. I know one young guy in town, he goes to a coffee shop, buys him a $3 coffee. I don't know where that coffee shop is, but he buys him a $3 coffee, and that's kind of how he keeps his rhythm. He likes to have the coffee, and he goes, and he keeps his rhythm. I know an older man that goes in the bathroom and stays. Probably a little weird at his house, but he does a little crazy at his house. But find you a, a, a time and place. If you're a rhythm person, find the time and place. I'm not as much of a rhythm person. I do it different every day. But I want a daily rhythm of a little time with Jesus. If you want to talk about that offline, let's talk about it. And then this Sabbath we talked about last week, a weekly rhythm. So you got a daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm. Mark chapter 2, Jesus said, I'll read it. I read last week. I'll read it again this week. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. In other words, this weekly rhythm was given to you as a gift. So I would just say evaluate your weekly rhythm. Like it was given to us as a gift. It was kind of this governor that was put on us to keep us healthy. It was a gift. It was a way to drive your calendar to keep us healthy. It's not a day off, by the way, because a lot of times when people take a day off, that means that they're going to indulge in something they want to do. This is a day to actually rest, to, to be with Jesus as we communicated last week. And I don't know if that's 24 hours for you. I'm not making rules on it. Like this, it's, it's not this rule thing that I'm making, but it, it's a way as a family to go, man, let's keep our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus and true rest. Um, for us as a family, we had to just kind of rebel and revolt and fight for a meal together. Just really, really important. And for our children, that was a massive deal for their health. Cheryl drove that better than mine. We started baseball here in Lexington 20 years ago, of all things. Like, we have, I have five sons. They all played baseball. And, like, they, they, it, was, it was chaos. And eventually, Cheryl was like, we, we just can't do this. Not if we're going to ever eat together. So we had to rebel. I had to actually tell the coach, we're only practicing two nights a week. We're not practicing three nights a week. And, and he didn't love it. He didn't like me for it. He thought I was weird. Guess what? Bless my kids. None of them in the major leagues right now. Right? Like, none of them made the high school team, for that matter, like in, in baseball. So like it was this important thing that Cheryl really drove for our home because I was being seduced by youth sports just calling me, and we were losing what we really wanted the most, which was this family of health. This life we always wanted was right there in our house, and we were letting everybody else tell us what it had to be. So I, I would just go, man, when you think about Sabbath, have a plan. Like, if it's about the meals, like, how many meals do you need to have a week as a family? If it's about church, like, I really believe it's a great rhythm to be here every Sunday, and the exception be to miss and it might be the meal after church. You can be like Blue Bloods and eat Sunday after church. Like whatever it is, like, like let's work out something for the Sabbath and it'll, it'll change your life. Number three, I got to keep rolling. Sorry. Simplicity. A rhythm with stuff. <laughs> right. 
Mark chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus is telling this parable about soils, four different types of soils and seeds landing in the soils, and he gets to the third type, and he says, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. NLT says, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. What? Like, I get so seduced by the lure of wealth and having stuff that at the end of life, I really don't get what I was hoping for. I wasted it. It's all choked out. The life I always wanted didn't happen. The writer of the book calls it the American gospel. He, he writes this. I thought it was terrific. Shopping is the new number one leisure activity in America, usurping the place previously held by religion. Amazon.com is the new temple. The visa statement is the new altar. Double-clicking is the new liturgy. Lifestyle bloggers are the new priests and priestesses. Money is the new God. John Marcoma. That's uh, <laughs> it kind of cool and poetic the way he wrote it. We all know it's true, right? What's up with the Stanley Cups? Hey, Cheryl's telling me about the daggum Stanley Cups. I'm like, yeah, that's the NHL. That's what you win if you win the NHL. And she's like, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> she's like, everybody's got these Stanley Cups. And we talking about kids, guys. How much do these things cost? Like, it, it just makes you feel like, man, maybe I ought to just revolt against that, right? Go get the Walmart Cup. Go to school and say, how you like me now? All right, I got a Walmart Cup. <laughs> Malachi, my youngest we moved over to Lexington from White Knoll. We led Radius White Knoll for a while, and he's got a lot of his daddy in, and he likes the revolt. And so he went to middle school, at Lexington Middle School, and the first day of school, he had duct tape on his shoes. I'm like, son, bro, I can buy you some new shoes. I'm like, I like these shoes. And then he took his pants, and he tucked them into his socks, and he went to school. It's just kind of like he had a little attitude from being, being with his father primarily, but a while, like he had heard these things about Lexington. He's like, I'm going the other way. Like, and he got a little swagger to him, so you need a little swagger to pull this off, right? Like so, a little swagger brings in, but like, there's this joy in the revolt, particularly if it's got health involved. I'm not sure about what Malachi did. Like the duct tape was a little embarrassing to his father, quite honestly, but man, when they tell you you got to have something, don't get it. Just say, this is dumb. Who made this up? Stanley Cup probably made it up. That's who made it up. So we got to have some rhythm with stuff, and we got to be prepared to go the other way. Because eventually, if we're never content, we're never going to have rest. You might have it tattooed on your arm, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the way we often teach that is that we're going to win the football game. I'm going to have all the stuff that I want. Well, what's Paul actually saying in the passage? He's actually saying that I can be content with nothing. That's why I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can be content with, and I can be content without. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. It's a beautiful passage. I don't have time to go in. So I would just say, this is something Cheryl and I are doing right now. For We've been married 34 years with our finances. We've been disciplined to give. For us, that's been the primary thing in our life. However, our budget is lacking. Always has been. And we just got like, we got to go the other way on this. So we both got it on our phone. We're tracking everything we got. It's, it's, it, what's crazy about tracking our stuff is like, you're actually like, we spent that much at restaurants last month? 
And it was just, it's just cool to go, no, nah, I'm, I'm not doing it this month. They're not, they're not going to take me on this. So we're working it together. It's stressing us both a little bit. We're not the most organized people in the world. They got these apps that are amazing. And it's just this moment where, like, I just won't be responsible. And it's actually what's crazy. It, it's bringing some stress, but it's also bringing some rest. I'm not worried about what's going to be there at the end of the month. We're going to start financial peace. If you haven't done it, Cheryl and I have done it. It was super helpful for us. It brought some rest to us. We'll start in February. You need some help on this, we'll help you. The writer of the book does this. He says, and this would be great for some of you. Like, if you just want to take a look at simplicity real hard, like, go home and start in your closet. Oh, that hurt, didn't it? That didn't hurt me bad. I'm like, deal. I go to the closet. I got like 20 things in there. I take 10 out. I'm down. Right? Like, y'all know I wore this shirt two weeks ago. I wear it, you know, wear it again in two weeks. That's how it works for me. But like some of y'all, that's going to be some time, right? But man, there's something right about it. When you hear it, doesn't it sound right? It sound good for you and not this curse, but really this discipline trying to free you. Last one, I got to quit. Slowing. So four S's, solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, and slowing. Man, he, he, he uh, <laughs> points out some stuff. I was at Walmart the other day. Do, do, do you look at the guy down the aisle and he goes, nah, he's stupid. That's the wrong line. Anybody? Nobody else says this? Like, he's in the wrong line. I'm in the fast line. That was a dumb choice. I got you, baby. And then he beat me the other day. I'm like, what the heck? This happened. You go to the stop light and, like, you're evaluating whether Walmart truck or the handicapped tag is going to be slower. Like, you're trying to figure out. Or a Buick. No offense, Buick owners. Like, if the like you never get behind a Buick. It's just that's how it is, right? Like, like, like you're trying to figure out which one's going to get through fast. Like, we're just addicted to speed. And he's just saying, how about getting in the slow line? And when I'm reading it, I'm like, this dude has lost his mind. But I would say there's something as I read it, and you can borrow the book and read it or buy it. Like, there was this hourly rhythm that I really needed to deal with. And, and I, I'll give you two places, the car and the phone. For some of y'all, they go together, like, right? Like, right? But, but just decide today with your family, we said, like, something to do different with the car and the phone. Like, he says, drive the speed limit. Again, I'm like, okay, dude, I'm done with this. Hey, drive the speed limit. Uh, and he's kind of going down his list. Uh, 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 he's getting a slow line. I ain't doing that. Don't roll through stop signs. I'm not going to be quoted on that one. Um, then he said, don't text and drive. I'm like, I can do that. I need to do that. That's actually like a good idea for all of society. So here we go. We'll see if I can get from here to my house a mile and a half without looking at my phone. Right? So what, what are you going to do? Um, with your phone, what do you need to do? Right? Like, like do, you, do you take email off of it? Does it dominate? Do you need to wait till you get to your computer? Do you need to take social media off? This one was easy for me. The driving was tough. So I don't have social media. Like, if you're sending me something on Facebook, that's an old account. I don't even know the password. So, like, send me an email or a text. But, but like, what are you going to change with your phone to slow down this life? Right? I, I got a friend, like, porn's been a problem for him, so he just took the browser off his phone, locked it out, put a block on Today's the day, baby. You keep on telling me you're going to quit. You ain't quit. Like, do something. Rebel against this garbage. Don't let them keep taking us and taking and stealing our soul. Revolt. Let me tell you this. Turn the daggum TV off. I'm not saying don't watch TV. Watch TV on purpose. You know that the average American has a TV on for eight hours a day? 
a day. So what we do is we just turn it on. We go about our business, but it's, it's just draining out of our soul while it's on, even if you're not watching. So watch something. I'm watching football today. I promise you, like, I'm watching football. I'm not saying don't watch it. Just turn it off. Rebel against this thing. It's good for us. I got way more, but I need to quit. So let's, let's do this. I want to remind you right now, if you feel guilty, you're not hearing me. This is like the Sabbath. I'm trying to give you a gift. When I listen to this book as I'm speeding down the highway, it just, the more and more it dealt with me, I'm like, this is true of me. I need to deal with it or I'm going to lose some of the things that I love the most. So I want that for you. Just make one change in those four areas if you can. Tell your family about it. Get a little accountability. But even right now, like slow down and take bread and juice. We're going to sing a couple more songs. What we do every Sunday, your kids are going to be fine. We already told them we might be a little long this morning. They're going to be fine. You don't have to trip the lady on the way to get her kid to get there first, right? Like, you don't have to run out the door right now. Like, like, just slow down and ask the Lord to meet you as we sing these two songs and take bread and juice and, and actually really focus in on his work on the cross for you and for me. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your patience. Help us. Help us, Lord. You know we're in this crazy trap, this crazy season in history where everything is so fast. And many of us, uh, come on, we want to be set free. Give us courage to make a change today. Give us even more courage to tell a friend or a family member to Ask for some accountability along the way. I do want to enjoy communion this morning, Lord. So awaken us to your great work on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen.